Hi everyone, this is Charlie, and you're listening to The Meaning Complex. This is the first episode I'm publicly releasing, but I have a lot of amazing guests talking about really important things coming up, and I'm going to try to release every Sunday. So if you like these conversations, and you think we're talking about things that need to be talked about, help the podcast reach more people by telling a friend, or by giving the podcast a rating on iTunes. I want to experiment a bit with the way I do this podcast, so I'm going to try audio essays and some other formats, but the core will always be long-form discussions about the most important issues of philosophy, science, and culture in the world today. I hope you enjoy my discussion on motherhood, trust, and forgiveness with my dear friend Carmen Westbrook. So the first thing I really want to talk about is I want to talk about how striking you were when I met you, because I remember and I, it was so funny because at first I wasn't sure what to think of you because you kept on doing this thing. And I'm sure you remember during our coactive training, um, you kept on saying, you know, well, I'm a mom and blah, 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 blah. And that got on my nerves so much. No, really? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, cause I don't. I don't like it when people prefix what they're going to say. Like if it's an important thing to say, just say it. It doesn't have to be like as a blah, 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 as a mom, as a man, as a, I don't want to have to say that at the beginning of any sentence. The sentence should stand on its own. And so at first I kind of like got bugged by it. And I was like, what the hell? Why do you keep on saying this? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But I realized how integral to your character being a mom is and how much that's informed, like everything that you do since I'm sure like since Jack was born. Yeah. So, okay. That is super fascinating to hear that feedback, by the way, because I didn't know that I I had no idea until this moment that I was doing that. So, um, (laughs) yeah. And interestingly, even especially during that time, that phase of my life, I was really trying to distance myself from being viewed as quote unquote, just a mom. So yeah, that was just when you were starting Ina giving, right? No, actually I started Ina about like five or six years ago. It was just that at that point we were kind of, um, we were, we were really broadening out from, uh, the reach of moms and into, um, other sectors. And so I was really, I was like very consciously actually trying to distance myself from that as part of my, um, uh, I guess the image that makes up me. So that is fascinating that I was still yeah, that's so funny. It. Yeah, that's so interesting. It, but it's such a core part of who you are. It's I such a core so. part of like how, and, and especially the lessons that you have to teach is, um, it, it's definitely a big part of it. And I really remember actually, like I'm, uh, I remember meeting your kids for the first time, mm-hmm. and I remember that you told me that your oldest um, grew up partly in Japan, where I live now, right? Yeah. Um, and so I asked, I think I asked him a question in Japanese, and he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't speak Japanese anymore, sir. And I was like, whoa, he just called me sir, like he's such a polite young man. <laughs> and um, and then while I was having this conversation, your youngest, do you remember what happened? Your no. youngest, Dean, ran over and just hugged me. Yeah, I'd never safe. met him before. I never saw him. And you're like, yep, he's our hugger. Yep, so um, I was really struck immediately by how polite, how open and how loving your kids were. And I thought, ah, okay. Because so, I think that was on the second day, right? And that was after I'd had this 
strong reaction to the mm. I'm a mom thing. And then the second day I met your kids and I was like, oh, that's why, because your kids are awesome. And so that's when I sort of wanted to know more about you and I wanted to talk with you more because I thought, wow, you're like, how do you do that? Because, you know, that's a really difficult thing to do to have such polite, wonderful kids. So let me tell you, I would like to tell you a story here. Um, I have a couple of stories about this, actually. So the first one is probably that um, I was a very reluctant mother when that happened. So um, Jack was kind of a surprise. He, I was much younger than I thought I would be when I had him. I think I was 25 when I had him. And... Um, I I quit my job before I was the director of operations of a nonprofit and um I had actually just been accepted to this amazing position working with the environment and energy resources and working with policy with the state government on um on coming up with re- you know policies that were more um amenable to climate change issues and stuff, which was definitely something that I was so interested in. And then I found out I was pregnant and, um, I had, I always knew that I was going to stay at home with my kids. And it was because of an ethos that I guess had been imposed on me from the outside. It didn't feel like something that I had atoned with. I hadn't come like that at one minute with that, that idea of staying home with kids um, I, it took me a really long time to, um, to deal with that. Um, and I was a really awful mom when, uh, at the beginning, like I was, it was awful. It was, awful. I don't know. I don't know how, I just don't believe you. <laughs> no, no. But, like I was like, what I remember one time where I was, when Jack was really little, like when he was like two months old, when I was holding him in the little baby sack and he was just crying and crying. And I remember just like screaming out loud, I don't know what the bleep you want. And it was, (laughs) it was just, it was awful. Like seriously, for reals, it was, it was terrible, Charlie. And John and I like almost got divorced and it was just so bad. And, um, it was really because my brother and sister flew out to like have a intervention with me that, um, I came to terms with this being the new story of my life that I had been thrust into and that I, it was, that it was my job to just figure out what to do next, you know, and that I couldn't control the situation. I couldn't, I couldn't fit it into a box. I just had it to figure out who I was going to be in that place. And it, for reals, it was because my brother and sister came and, and yelled at me. Um, and thank God um, for your brother and sister. Huh? I know. I, oh yeah, always, always. I'm so grateful for my brothers. And do you, th- do you think this me. is something, I don't know, like, do you think this is something that every mom has to wrestle with or like every parent has to wrestle with is like, there's a new normal now. You can't just you can't just think, okay, well, I was going to do this and this inconvenient child has come along and, and made it impossible for me to do what I want to do. And then you have that to re- have to wrestle with that. I feel like everyone has to wrestle with that when they have kids. So I think that this is an interesting conversation that I actually, I have with, um, my 
mom friends, especially around the world. And some of them, it seems to be much more like my sister. Um, it was much more natural for her. Like she made the transition much more naturally than I did. And she kind of had always wanted to be, have, um, being a mom as part of her career path. Like she'd always wanted to have that. Um, and, and so I think it was more natural for her. That does not mean that it wasn't hard. Like I remember her looking at me at one point when her son was nine months old and she was like, you know, who, who would have known it would have been this hard, you know? So I think it was hard for her. I just think that she, um, it was more expected. Um, and you know, when, when we have our expectations set, to that level, it's easier, I think, or it's, it's just smoother. It's a smoother transition, I guess. Um, so I think there's that. So then the other part of this too, and this, this is super important for me. So it's not only that my brother and sister were the ones who really like coached me at that time. And it was like, it was, it was like transformational, provocative coaching that they didn't even know they were doing at the time when they came to me and they were like, enough is enough. Like enough, stop it. You have to, you have got to be the one who changes in this situation. Um, and it was, if you've, if you've read my book, you know, that it was like, I felt it was such an unfair statement. I felt like there were so many things that, um, other people needed to grow and change. Um, and so there was just so much around there. And in the end they were right. I mean, there's, there's legit nobody else that I can control in this world except for myself. And sometimes not even that, you know, and it's like, that's, that's all I can do. All I can do is I can work on myself and I can love other people. That's pretty much, that's it. That's such That's an it. important idea. It's something that I, I've actually been teaching about in my um, my class at the high school. It's, there's uh, this, uh, and we talked about this a little bit before, the Nonviolent Communication book mm. by Marshall Rosenberg mm-hmm. that completely changed my life. And a big part of that was saying, you are responsible for your feelings. You're responsible for everything that happens in your life. And even though, yeah, other people do things and it sucks sometimes, like, you know, someone might do something to you and it might mess with your life, but you're completely in charge of how you respond to that. You're completely in charge of how you view those situations and whether you let it completely drag you down and ruin your whole life or whether you go, okay, well, I've learned something from this experience. Now I can do something even better next time. You know, like that's a really important lesson to learn. And, you know, I'm glad that you learned that no, the hard, maybe not the hard way, but kind of the hard way with a, with a kid and your brother and sister so having hard. to come in and do an intervention, right? Like that's a, oh, yeah. that's a good way to learn it. <laughs> oh, it was so painful. And it was definitely that like shake and wake up, um, call mm-hmm. that, you know, I needed at that time. So there's another really interesting aspect to this story for me personally about the mom journey, which is for the next six years, I was a full-time stay-at-home mom. Okay. So I was like full-time at home and it was like literally every person on the planet had an opinion about how I needed to do that job and felt very, very open to tell me exactly how I needed to do that job. And then, and then be like awful to me if I wasn't doing it the way that they thought that I needed to be doing it. Um, and I, I, I don't parent my kids according to the, 
the way that, that I would say is commonly accepted, or at least during the time that I was raising my kids, it wasn't like the commonly accepted method for child rearing at that time. And it was very much me just like, I mean, I read legit all of the parenting books. Like I literally read every single one that I possibly could. I listened to podcasts. I did everything that I could to figure out what to do. And then I would go try stuff out and then I would sit and I would think about it and be like, did that work? And did it work for us? Which I think is a really important part of it of like, every family is different. Every, literally every child is different. Every person is different. And so doing it the right way for each one of my children became really, 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 really important to me. And, um, and I looked really bad. Like it did not look good. It looked ugly. I, it looked like I was like the hottest mess on the planet. And so for those first six years, it was like, I looked so bad. I looked so Were you uncool. one of those moms like dragging their kids, kicking and screaming oh, yeah. through the supermarket? Oh yeah. Oh, I totally was. <laughs> because I was like, because there are some times when the lesson that you need to teach your children, at least this is for me, there were times when I needed to teach the lesson to my children that I don't care how you act that doesn't mean that you get to govern what happens in this world. And so if my kids would lose their bananas in the grocery store, I would be like, well, we're still shopping here. Do you know why? Because you right now need to learn the lesson that you're not the dictator of this world. And it was a lesson that I needed to teach my children. And at the same time, I needed to get the groceries, you know, like I had, oh, that I, sounds so painful. It was it so, painful. so painful. There yeah. was so much crying. There was so But I've seen, crying. I've seen that as a kindergarten teacher though. I've seen, and I know which, which kids are well-behaved based on how their mothers, um, deal with their tantrums and deal with their behavior like i've had kids who they would just refuse to do anything and the mom would be like oh you know come on please mm -hmm. do this and then we'll go and get you ice cream and blah, blah, blah. and they'd bargain with their kids and it's like what are you doing we're gonna have this every day like a kid will refuse to put on their shoes every single day unless they get ice cream unless they get what they want your kid is running you i know and, but so and this I, is the thing like yeah we can't judge moms because when we like because those situations are like, they're soul wrenching because right, we right. love our kids so much. And my goodness, watching my children cry and lose their stuff. It was like a part of my arm was being ripped off and then I was beaten over the head with it. Like it was just so <laughs> bad. It felt, it feels so, it's like we actually even have a hormonal response inside of us too. that those things happening and so right. and as a you know, as a kindergarten teacher I was just seeing the kids like every day um but that yeah. wasn't my life like I could I could yeah. finish the day and be like god that was a tough day and then go home and chill like just do whatever I wanted yeah. but then the the mums is like that's their life so they have to figure out ways to to get through it so I, I I did realize after having those kind of thoughts about the parents that were teaching and I was teaching like really well-off parents, you know, like the, uh, I wasn't teaching the parents. I was teaching the kids. I was kind of teaching the parents too, but um, yeah. <laughs> it's I, the, the, yeah. It's a system. The, the parents were really well-off. So their kids, you know, they, well, and um, this is like, I think this is something that was definitely, I, I realized that it was like, we are expected to go do certain things in society. Like we're expected to go grocery shopping and we're expected to, um, even like hang out with friends and, you know, just like do all of the sort of like socially acceptable things. And we're also expected to have like 
children who sit and behave quietly and don't disrupt the the situation. And it's like those two things are pretty mutually exclusive, especially when they're little, at least some of the time. And so being the finding that balance between going out and doing the things that were sort of expected of an adult in today's society and then and then also balancing it with the things that were needed for my children, you know, was it was definitely a balancing act. And I am insanely grateful to the friends that like stuck it out with me and would come meet me at Chili's and have dinner with me, even though my kids were screaming and they were like, what is happening right now? (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of times things don't look beautiful and pretty and it's okay because we're working on it, you know? And so now I like, I literally have people, it's it's just like what you said. I have people who are like, how did you raise such amazing kids? Or like people who want me to go talk to mom's groups or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, for the first six years of your life, all of you people would have been like, Carmen, you are literally the worst mom on earth. And it's like, yeah, maybe we shall like help and support each other out here with this thing because it's really complicated and hard to do, you know? Mm. Right. And that kind of brings me to like what I really wanted to know um, from you is that you you talk a lot about like how being a mom really shaped how like everything, like how you work in business and how you are with your husband and how you are with your friends, like that that experience really not only shaped who you are, like how it, how it was when I first met you that first day. But it's also like something that you learn so many things from that you can't like it's such a hard way to learn them, but you learn them so well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. So um now we do we do leadership development, right? And so if we think about it, I remember again my sister saying to me at some point when um Eva was two years old, she looked at me and she's like, Well, Carmen, you just have to be a charismatic leader and then they'll follow. And I was like, oh, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do now. And so um, if we think about it, like uh, moms and parents, both moms and dads are the – and parents of same-sex couples and whatever, what you know, single, single parent couples, anybody that, that is like raising a child in whatever capacity is – has automatically been thrust into this position of leadership. And it's kind of like leadership trial by fire. I mean, it is like, it is legit leadership learning. And you know this because you're a teacher and that is such an incredible leadership area because you have many children of the same age that you are trying to wrangle to, you know? Um, oh, and I failed and, at it for a long time. And- I was a terrible teacher for a long time. <laughs> it took <laughs> it took years before I could even... Yeah. Like before I could even come to a class prepared, ready to do something. Like I, I was really awful for a lot of those years. Yeah. I think, and so I think that for me, one of the really, really, really huge. So one of the huge things that I really try to imprint on people is being that authentic leader, which is that leader that is not afraid to say, I literally, I have failed at this so many times because I, I didn't find a whole lot of that when I was a young mom. Um, and I felt very um, alone. And I felt like I was doing absolutely everything wrong. And it it was hard. Like, it was really hard. And I I remember thinking, like, 
where are all the older moms that can help me out right now with this? And I had a couple come alongside me and just, oh, they're, they're amazing. Um, and I was like, where are they that they can help me out with this? And it's so fascinating now because, you know, all these years later now, I am working with women all over the world and men too. Um, and, and I hear so much, very specifically, especially from the women, um, that they're like, where are the older women that can help be mentors for us. Right. What happened to our society? Like, I really, I really wonder yeah. about this. Like, there's something that's actually, re- and we've talked about this before, and I really mm-hmm. wonder about it is what happened to our society that being a mother was, is suddenly deemed like it's like, like you say, like just a mom. I hate that yeah. term. I find that so yeah. upsetting because I feel like from my experience, like my, my mom worked when I was growing up and she was a great mom. She worked really, really hard to, especially like when I got sick, you know, I had um, leukemia when I was five and my mom worked, looked after three other kids. <laughs> she, I think she was pregnant at the time, like with um, the fourth baby while I was in the hospital. And so she, I don't know how she survived that. Like that's an, ins- like, I can't even understand how much strength you have to have to do that. But she had a lot of help, you know, she, I'm sure she had a lot of her friends. She had, um, like her, some of her friends that I know they're still, um, they're still very close and people supported her. And now it's like this, this situation has changed. The situation has become like, instead of, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and all the mums are in it together and they'll help each other because they know how hard it is. They're judging each other. They're looking at each other saying like, you know, you're a bad mom because you do this with your kid when I think you should do that with your kid. And I don't get it. I don't get it. Why don't we, why don't we look at this the way we used to, which was, I guess as a society, we used to say being a mom is a really important thing. Like you're in charge of the kids. That's a hard job and it's worth something and it's important. So I would say to this that there are definitely pockets of moms that hang out and support each other. And and I have been very fortunate that I've been in those pockets and I try to build those pockets as much as I possibly can and and grow them. Um, I would think, I think that there's like, it's, I think this is so ingrained in our society that you literally said the words there. And I don't know if, if, if you heard yourself say it, but you were like, my mom worked and raised three kids. There's this weird paradigm that we have going on, which we're saying, where we're saying being a mom is not work. Like it's not, if, if I am quote unquote, just a mom, then that means that I don't work. We literally even say those words. We will literally say, oh, I don't work. I'm just a mom. These are the words that we use around this and words are important. And we have this paradigm going on right now. And I think it became, I think it came from the feminist revolution. And I think, I mean, bless the feminist revolution. We needed that clearly. And, and there needed to be this opportunity to have this huge expanded possibility for what any person could do regardless of who they are. Right. We, I think we just, I, we needed to break out of this paradigm of like, you can only, you can only do this if you're this kind of a person. And I think that we've effectively done that. I think that in the process, like the pendulum swung so far in that direction, in the process, it became unacceptable to have as part of your career path being quote unquote, 
just a mom. So that I, I've told you this before. I looked at Eva. She said, I remember I asked her like a couple of years ago, I was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? She's like, I want to be a mom. And I was like, oh, baby girl, you can do so much better than that. And I didn't even realize that I'd said those words until she was like, until a couple of years later. And then I was like, oh, what yeah, am what have I, I done? saying yeah. right now? Like, and not only that, but like, what am I holding inside of my head also about myself? You know, what am I saying about, cause I was quote unquote, just a mom for six years. And how am I, how am I holding myself when I look at other people and I say, don't be like me, you can do so much better. Oh, that's not okay. Yeah. And that's, that's such an interesting thing because I don't think feminism ever really grappled with motherhood. Um, and all of the famous feminist icons, you know, they were most, uh, many of them were childless. Mm. And, and I wonder what it does to have a movement that is so, so wrapped up in the idea that the being equal to men means doing everything that men do. Mm-hmm. And not recognizing the really important roles that women play, and not only in the home, like in in society. Like that when did that become a powerless position? Why would that? Like I, I always thought that, like my mom was in charge in the house, you know, like that, and and she was in charge of a lot of things. She was a community leader, you know, and she does a lot of stuff um, now where she's a leader, not only in business but with a whole bunch of people. Um, and I think that's a really important thing. Is like that moms are not just caretakers for kids like they're leaders in a different way mm-hmm. and that's not worse and it's not better no. it's just different yes. and yeah I totally agree I have this um older woman here who is I, she I love her so much she's just she's one of my favorite people on earth and she says she's like Carmen we're not wimps we are not women in men's position and I love that because she's like, what are men's positions? And I think that that's such an, an incredibly important thing to think about. And, and I think that one of the things that rolls around in my head that I haven't, I haven't kind of, it hasn't come to rest. So it's still something that rolls around in my head is this idea that um, I think that women were able to kind of convince people that they could go and do all these other jobs as long as they sort of like looked like men and acted like men, you know, and, and like wore pantsuits and like all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, and stop bringing their emotions into, into stuff and, and kind of like pushed aside a lot of the, amazing women's wisdom that is in the the feminine, you know, is in that feminine energy. And I think that there is um, a desire now to, uh, to really now also integrate that into every aspect of our lives. And that's so like Brene Brown with her, her vulnerable stuff and her vulnerable leadership and everything like that. Um, I think that that is a, a really great um, example of people saying, you know, there's this power that comes from, um, I would say like maybe the 
feminine energy or the the feminine stuff that men have the the masculine energy has so much power in it and so does the feminine energy too and how can we integrate those together into all different aspects of our lives so that saying you know like motherhood is an incredibly incredibly important important thing that we need to value and that if if women stop being mothers then our society literally ends like i it's a thing like have we not all recognized this <laughs> like, right right it's one of the it's one of the things we learn in elementary school that we should we should really remember when we get to adulthood and we start yeah. thinking about it and we start thinking about the next promotion or our careers well and that and if we so and this is a cool thing to think about too in uh, um if we don't support that, um, the huge benefits that accrue to our species from, from women being moms and men being dads, if we don't support those, those are huge benefits to our species as in like the continuation of our species, you know? And mm. also like what's, what's society itself? What's our culture going to look like? How are we going to interact with each other? You know, all of that kind of stuff, all of the soft skills and everything that comes from that. If we keep, we just take that for granted so much, you know, it's like, it's the externalities that we don't see that are given to us because we're like, well, of course people are just going to keep having children. Um, and I, I think that that's something that we should not take for granted. And I think we need to absolutely looking at that, you know? Right. And it's so interesting. I live in Japan and Japan has a really big problem mm -hmm. with people just not having kids. Um, I think the birth rate something like 1.3 per couple. Mm -hmm. And so that means that the there's a massively aging society and there's a lot of problems that come with that. And I don't know if Japan has really wrestled with that yet. Like they talk about it and it's always very, it's always very service like, oh yeah, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that awful? Yeah, of course. But no one's really wrestling with the idea like what's the reason behind that and a lot of there are a lot of hypotheses but i really think a big part of it is that you know our lives are so convenient now and there's so much stuff that we want to do and people start thinking about themselves in the short term they start thinking about themselves like i you know i could go out and do all of this stuff and and you know i'm in my 20s i'm in my early 30s i want to have these experiences and we don't realize that you know yeah that's fine for now but when you get to 40 or 50 and you're still going out and you're doing all of the things that you want to do, um, for a few people, that might be perfect. That might be great. That might be exactly what you're looking for. But for a lot of people, they'll it'll be too late for them to then th go back and realize, like, this is actually what I really want. Um, and I think I recognize that really, I don't know, maybe early. Um, not really. But I recognized, like, as I was when I was teaching, I was like, I really want to be a dad someday. And I'm... So it made me think a lot about like the role of being a dad. What does that mean? What does mm. what does fatherhood mean? And it, and it's led me down a lot of really interesting places. Yeah, yeah. And I think that this is. I think you teased out something there that's really important, which is, you know, you and I are articulating one perspective of the situation of the story that's going on right now, and it's not the only perspective that's there. And I think that that's really important that there are so many different perspectives that are, that are available here. I personally think that this is a perspective that doesn't get a whole lot of airtime, which is probably why I like to talk about it a lot because 
I like shifting paradigms and, and I like helping, I like being conscious about what are we doing, you know? And so, okay. So be, be specific, which, what do you mean by that? So what I mean is that you said some people are going to get to their forties and fifties and, and not have kids and that's going to be fine. That's going to be totally the right choice for them. And I think that that is, uh, that is one of the aspects of this, which is there are people who are like, I literally, I don't ever want to be a, a parent in the physical sense, you know? And then there are people who are like, I don't even want to be a parent in the psychological sense, which is, that's totally cool too. Right. And then there are some people that are like, I want to, um, be a part-time parent and then a part-time something else, whatever that is. Um, and then there are some people who are like, I want to be a full-time parent. And then there are some people, people who are like, I want to be a parent and that never happens for me. And then there are some people who are just parents in the psychological sense in, in that they, they raise children, even though they haven't physically had children. And I think that, um, I think that all of these, when we're talking about parenting, especially, those are some of the different aspects of that story that we're in right now with our society. And you and I happen to be picking out the one that's like, we do need to give value to the services that are rendered to society from the people who choose to be mothers and fathers, kind of like full-time you know? Right. And, and that's the thing, I guess, that that's really important here is that, that when we, in our society, when we signal to people that that's not a valuable thing to do, like that it's not a valuable thing to be a stay at home mom or a stay at home dad. It's not, you know, it's not respected. It's not something, you know, it's like, it's the lazy Mm -hmm. option. That's Mm -hmm. when we get the big problem in society, which is where people who do want to have kids feel like, yeah, but you know, I felt like that's not, I could do so much more, right? I feel like I could do this. I could run my own company and all that stuff. And then there are people who end up regretting those decisions because they've mm-hmm. been given those options by a, soci- by a societal expectation that that actually doesn't make much sense, that actually doesn't make sense yeah. for them. And they're not making their own decision. Yeah. They're making a decision based on um, approval. And that's a really, really horrifying concept uh, prospect for a lot of people, I think, that maybe they wouldn't have kids. And then by the time they realize that they've been duped, it's too late. So I, you know, I, we lived in Japan for a while. And so I have some, um, I have a little bit of, of knowledge about that. And we live in Italy where there's also a declining birth rate here too, or negative birth rate. And so, um, and I think one of the things that's important to, for me, that I, my, like my aspect of this is that I saw that um, at least in Japan, that for women, when they had children, basically their individuality was over. That was it. That was the end. They were expected to be completely, they stopped being themselves, whatever their names were, and started being only known as the mother of this child basically and it was their job that's so that true was, even yeah. in japanese when people they, they wouldn't say the parents name they'd say like the kids like uh i don't know if the kid's name was hiroshi be like hiroshi no mama yes like, exactly they yeah. lost their identity as an individual and then and and it was completely subsumed in this this mother thing and then they could never go back to work either so if they'd been super successful career people before that they could never go back to any work except for mothering that was it that was they only had that option then for literally the rest of their lives which is so funny if you think about the feminist revolution like the whole point behind it was like 
we can make those choices. And, and there wasn't a like, well, we can make those choices as long as we're not mothers, you know, but, but now, I mean, there is this thing where it's like, if, if we choose to have the career path of full-time mom, it is so hard to switch career paths after that. Like it is, um, it is almost impossible. And in places like Japan, it, it pretty much is because it's societally so, so, um, not, uh, expected. It's not expected by society. And so there aren't really a whole lot of places to go. And so for me, I think that, and this is, again, I work with young women around the world and this conversation of like, well, I do want to have a family, but I, I don't want to just like lose everything about myself, um, in the process. And then, and then there's also a question of like, I also don't want to kill myself because I've seen, the, the moms who do part-time mom and part-time, you know, other kind of work. And, and it is really stressful. And so people who are like, how can I have a balanced life? You know, how can I have that time when I'm devoting all of my energy to the job of mothering? And, and then when that job has passed from being such an intense kind of job experience, I want to go change my career field and go do banking or whatever, anything else, right? That that transition right there, it's like it's not possible. It's it's just not there right now in society. Right. I the the thought I had about this, and I think we've talked about this before, and I think you disagreed with me, was that I thought if um if we look at the traditional roles where a man would go out to work and the mom would stay home with the kids, I feel like if the mom wants to go out and work, then she should not should, I don't want to use the word should, then it would be better for her to find a man who wants to stay home with the kids because someone needs to look after the kids. If the kids are not being looked after, like you can't leave a kid alone. And I, I really don't think that it's healthy for a lot of kids to be raised by help, to be raised by um, daycare workers or um, nannies or something. I think it's really important to have those connections with your biological mother and father or your uh, adoptive mother or father. I think those, it's super important to have that connection. And if you don't have that connection and you're being raised by the help because mom and dad are out working, you know, making sure their careers work and they're making enough money, then there's something that falls apart in society in that way. Um, and I don't know whether that whether there's a solution for that other than like for women who want to be a CEO, who want to work, um, they sh- if they find a man who wants to stay home with the kids, then you know, have someone at home. So you're right that I totally disagreed with you on this. Yeah, I know. And, I think, <laughs> and part of that is because I am a daycare kid and uh, I like myself. I turned out really well in my personal opinion. Um, and I'm, I, <laughs> I think you turned out great too, Carmen. <laughs> and I think that that's, uh, I think that this is for me, this is a big, huge thing of like, I don't care what anybody else chooses. I truly don't. I think that if everybody raised their children the way that I raised my children, the world would be a really boring place. Like it really, it would be so freaking boring because we would all be exactly the same and that's super boring. So I, for me, it's a like, I don't really care what, what people choose. I just think that there needs to be a conscious 
decision-making around that. I think that we need to be able to look at it and consciously make those decisions as opposed to kind of just reacting to the situation. And then I think that we as a society should have conversations. I do actually, there's a should. I think that we, which is why I'm out here having these conversations, we should have more conversations around what are the services that are provided by parents, by mothers, by fathers, what are the services that are provided to our society by that? And how are we incentivizing and disincentivizing that in our society and make sure that we're really including that in our calculations? But how do people have those kind of conversations? Because it takes so much time. It's not only so much time, but it's so difficult to have those kind of conversations openly and honestly, especially when there are so many, um, like, I don't know, you as a, as a parent, you can't, um, you can't say something like, well, I don't want to be at home with my kid. I like, I can't stand being at home with my kid all day long. It's driving me crazy. Like saying those kind of things out loud to your friends makes people think you're a terrible person. So you don't say them. And, and I, I think we can't have an honest and uh, an honest conversation about these things when people are always looking for you know, a, a reason to distrust, a reason to look at you differently and to think, okay, well, that's not the kind of mom I want to be, or that's not the kind of dad I want to be, you know, yeah. or I don't know, there's, there's so much judgment, there's so much judgment. And, and I have, I think if we don't trust that parents have their best, have their kids' best interests at heart, then we can't even have those conversations, those important conversations to actually decide like, what do we actually really want to do rather than what will I do in order to signal to my friends I'm a, I'm a good parent or something. Yeah. So I think that this is I think you hit very much on the words that are um the first two steps on that path in my opinion which is trust and forgiveness. And I think that that all starts inside of ourselves. I think that before we can do anything we have to start going and looking in the inside of ourselves and saying, I do trust myself. I trust my own decisions on this. I trust where I'm going. And even if there's judgment from the whole world on this, I trust that this is where I'm going with this. And then forgiveness of like, I am legit going to mess this up so much. Like I, for real, I'm going to, I, we already, we tell our kids that they're going to have therapy when they leave the house and we're like, <laughs> just the way it is. <laughs> like, yep, you guys, we're going to damage you in ways that we can't possibly know yes, yet. <laughs> exactly. It's so true. Right. And we're just like, look, we're trying, right. Like we're trying the best that we possibly can and having forgiveness around that. Um, and I think that those are really the two, I think those are two really, 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 really important places to go. And I think that we as a society, we have to allow things to be messy. We have to be okay. My mom used to always say this. She said, love is inefficient. And it's so true. Like we have to allow this to be messy. And I say this from, I was sexually abused as a child. My daughter was sexually abused as a child. Like, dear Lord, you know what I mean? Like we, that was, that's messy. That is messy. It's a problem. It's an issue. It's out there. And I am clearly not one of the people who's like, oh, we should just pretend like all the parents are going to magically just like love their children and it's going to magically all work out okay. No, I think we just need to be in that state where 
we do love each other. We recognize we are all in this family together and we recognize that we're going to mess it up. Like we just are. And, and as long as we stick it out with each other and forgive each other and try to find the answers there, I think it will work out okay in the end, you know? Right. And it's like you said um, earlier on, like that you need to, it starts with yourself. You can't trust Mm -hmm. your kids and you can't forgive your kids and your husband and your, your, your greater family, unless you can start to do that for yourself. Like I can imagine like being in, in the situation of um, struggling with, and I remember reading in your book, um, you talked about uh, what happened with um, with you and what happened with your daughter and thinking like I've failed as a parent but you can't, like you've got to be able to forgive mm-hmm. yourself before you can start looking at other people and th- th- I feel like it's so important that people don't realize that they don't talk to themselves the way they talk to their friends like you would never say that to you know a friend of yours who had the same experience you'd never say like well you're a failure you totally screwed this up your kids are going to be damaged forever or whatever you know you would never say that to your friend but then when you when you have that in a dialogue going on you're saying it to yourself and and that's i feel like that's where a lot of that pain comes from where it starts is our self talk oh yeah oh yeah definitely at least that's been the truth for me, you know, is my own personal self-talk. Um, it's definitely been a place that I have had to go to and and wrestle it out, you know, and come to terms with that on, on my own. Um, and, like, care enough about myself to do that, you know? that's the starting point that's the foundation right like then when you when you learn to trust yourself and trust your judgment and to forgive yourself and let yourself off the hook for for the things that you do wrong which is inevitably going to happen then you can start to look at other people differently and you can say well i know what that's like and that really sucks and you know i don't i don't want to hold that person accountable for that because it's Mm -hmm. not their fault you know it's going to happen those terrible mm-hmm. things will happen and people will have difficult experiences and and being able to see that in each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think so. And for me, it's like an ongoing circle. Like I'll revisit, I'll visit an issue and I'll be like, all right, I figured that one out. And then like a year later, I'll be like, wait, what, what, what? We're, we're back here again? We're, uh, okay. And then I'll like revisit <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's, that's a really important thing though, is to actually be able to revisit those things and think, Mm -hmm. oh damn, like I thought I knew what I, what I knew and now Mm -hmm. I don't. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh yeah. It's Mm. always learning. It's always learning all the time. But then I worry about the kids growing up now who, um, and I didn't have to deal with things like social media until like, I think Facebook came out when I was in my first year of university. Um, and that was when it came to my university. And and I think, cause at the beginning it was only universities. And, Mm -hmm. and I remember the, all of a sudden the massive pressure to be doing cool things all the time. So I could post about it on Facebook and I could show like signal to my friends. And I've had to figure out what my relationship with that is over the last 10, 12 years. Um, but I wonder what's happening with kids now where they're growing up and everything they do is online. And anytime their friends can look back and see something they tweeted or put on Instagram from 10 years ago and say, Hey, look what you did. Like, that's not cool anymore. And, 
and they can and this is happening a lot in political life as mm-hmm. well like people are being destroyed for stuff that they said 10 years ago and everything's on the record now everything and how do you how do you forgive people in a society like that where everyone's looking for this kind of like gotcha you know pick someone apart destroy them because it makes me look good you know to to find someone who said something that's not cool anymore so i I love reframes. It's possibly my favorite thing to do. And I love um, perspectives. And so one of my things that I would say about this is I think that a reframe on this is that social media has given us such an incredible gift in that we are now, right now, wrestling with this issue of forgiveness. And I think it's because of this con like of this ability to see people and everything that they do for literally forever, right? Whereas before we could kind of pretend like we hadn't really done any of that stuff in the past, you know? And now we can't. There's no there's no putting a fig leaf on that one, you know? Like it is yeah. all out there hanging out for everyone to see. But then what happens with all these kids who are just anxious about everything that they do and and then they worry like you know, and, and I have a lot of worries too. Like I actually recently deleted my entire Twitter history because I thought I, I must have said some terrible stuff. I don't know what I said. I can't remember, but I had like, you know, a few hundred tweets or something. And I thought like, I must have like replied to someone who's now viewed very unfavorably by the media. And if I ever want to get a job somewhere later in my life, they'll check everything that I've ever said ever and search it for, you know, oh, well you commented on, you know, and I, I, I have a lot of really nuanced views on things and nuance is not favorable right now yeah yeah um everything's so, black and white you're either you're either a good person or you're a nazi yeah. you know and you can't I, I i feel like we need to have a middle ground we need to understand that there's a middle ground we need to understand that people can believe things one year and that they change their minds you know i i would say there should be a moratorium on your opinions it's like if i have an opinion on something then two years later you should say do you still have the opinion because I'm totally open to you having a completely different opinion? So here's my question for you. How will that ever change if people like us don't go out and say it? I mean, it's not just people like us. It's it's that that that's I don't understand how the the cultural zeitgeist pulls that in because people like me and you are saying it, but at the same time you know, people have their careers, their lives destroyed because yeah. they said something stupid yeah. a couple of years ago. And, and there's like an almost like a glee at doing this. It's almost like the, the bullies are in charge and the so bullies would, get to say yeah. what's right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, so for mine, it's just, for me, it's a, I think we're wrestling with how we are going to interact with each other as a family. Um, and this is, that's been, I think that that, is my answer to that question of like, how do we talk with our kids about this? How do we deal with the, you know, the anxiety around this and stuff? And what I say to my kids is, um, you know, those people that are out there, like literally in a year, you could literally never see them ever again for your entire life. And there are 8 billion people in the world. You know who you are probably going to have. Like, you know who you are stuck with for your whole life? It's us. 
Like your siblings, you, they are literally, they are the people that you are stuck with for your whole entire life. And I think that that and that kind of, um, that commitment to each other is what gives us the strength to go out and say all the hard things that need to be said. Because what you're saying needs to be said. And we also need to know and realize that words have power and that we need to pay attention to the words that we're saying. And we also need to know that forgiveness is really important. And that if some somebody said something a few years ago that hurt me personally, I need to have the strength inside of myself to go talk to that person and say, that was really painful that that happened. I really disagreed with it. And then, and trust in myself and trust in them that we'll be able to kind of find a way towards forgiveness and we'll be able to figure out a way to move together on that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's so important. And it's, it feels like that pulls full circle back to what we were take, talking about at the beginning, which was that you need to take responsibility for your feelings. If someone says something and you interpret it in a certain way, then you need to take responsibility for your interpretation of that too. And then you also then need to be able to go to that person and explain. Um, I, I feel like we don't really, a lot of people don't have a a vocabulary of their needs. They don't know how to express these things. Mm-hmm. And that can cause a real problem later on as well. Like um, in, as an adult, like I'm learn- I've am i been learning this stuff in my mid twenties. I was figuring out like how many things I had strong feelings about and just was not able to express. And I'm a really opinionated person and I talk about a lot of stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know me, but I'm I'm one of those people. I, I need to talk. I need to talk to think. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to communicate with people. I need to have these dialogues. And some people don't want to have a dialogue. They just want to think what they think, and they're that's it. They're done. I've I've called it in for the day. But for me, it's like I want to talk about this stuff all the time because I I want to know. I want to know what's true. I want to know what's real. And I need to play my thoughts out with other people. And so when I have those kind of issues with people, when I have like something where I haven't been able to express myself and I feel this all the time. And I know so many people have this thing where they're like, you know, I, I wanted to say this, but I didn't think of it at the time. And I thought about it four hours later when yeah. I was going home and I was like, Oh my God, I wish I'd said this, you know? And, yeah. and that's why I think it's really important to, to take responsibility for your feelings. And then you can start going, okay, well then I can express something in the moment. I can explain to people like what you know what this what happened was unfair or what happened was like hurts me and to be able to not only forgive that person but to also forgive yourself for your interpretation of it like to understand where that interpretation comes from because sometimes like people can take things very personally when they're not sometimes people can can have strong feelings about something when the other person didn't even think of it. It was like just a, a random thought that they just said and didn't think anything more of. And and taking that on gives those people power over you. And it's, you know, or gives not really the people. How do I s- explain this? It's more like it gives those ideas. It gives your interpretations power over you. And those are things that you can control. You can control your interpretations. You really can. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that there's a really, really cool place um, that's possible that's beyond forgiveness 
And that's where we get to that point where we're like, everything is just learning, you know? And so when something happens to me, me putting the designation of that was bad on it is, um, puts a, puts a designation on it, you know? Whereas when we can look at something and say, huh, that is an amazing opportunity for learning there. What am I learning here? Then it comes to this point where um, we're taking it like 0% personally and 100% personally, if that makes sense. It's right. like, you know, it's like- this Like seeing is- it as an opportunity yeah. for personal mm-hmm. growth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Colin, this has been an awesome chat. This has been a really interesting chat. I totally agree. Yeah. I love talking about this kind of stuff with you. Um, Let's do it again sometime soon. You're welcome on my podcast anytime. Definitely. Definitely. Likewise to you, my friend. So thanks for having me. So fun. Always good to talk with you.